Sister Mary Eucharista is the Program Manager at Immaculate Heart Retreat Center and a member of the Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Church. In today's podcast, she told us how, as of August 1st, the Retreat Center was rented out to the Regional Health District in conjunction with Catholic Charities to be a place where COVID-19 patients can go to recover. Listeners, I need to give you a heads up. I tried what I thought was a better microphone with this episode, but as you'll hear, there's some static and other interference that I cannot edit out. Next week, back to my old mic. This is probably a good spot to remind you that we could use your financial support. It helps us pay for this podcast, so I hope you'll consider making a donation to Spokane Faves. Okay, on with the show. This is Faves Forward, a podcast about how faith communities are staying connected during this coronavirus pandemic. I'm Tracy Simmons. Sister Mary Eucharista, and I have been a religious sister for 39 years, and uh, am presently uh, a member of the Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Church, which is a diocesan community here in Spokane. And I've been working, I was a teacher for, high school teacher for 23 years, but uh, have about 13 years ago moved over to uh, work at Immaculate Heart Retreat Center, which offers programs. And I am uh, the program manager, started off as that along with a few other jobs, but also uh, continued on as that until this time. And I think because of the COVID, we're, we're looking at other ways that my skills and expertise can be utilized in a way that is uh, helpful for the diocese, for the community, and also for you know, at a time when people are really at home, you know, just needing to be there and not being out, because uh, we can't really, we can't run programs with government protocols the way they are. The phases don't allow it. And even if they did at this point, people can't really come to the programs because there's too many vulnerable and people are really being careful with their health and with their, you know, their, uh, they're just, you know, like, this morning we had to have a meeting at, at, a, at another facility, but everybody was socially distanced, didn't have more than five in the room, and we were uh, all wearing masks, and uh, people are just standing back and being respectful of people's distance. So it's really not a time for programs, not for in-house programs, even for programs where you have some sort of lunch offered, which, you know, we always want to feed people along with feeding their hearts and souls being able to feed them at the retreat center because it's part of life and it's part of what we do as our ministry. And that's the part that now has sort of been, you know, shifted away from us. So we have to adapt and find other ways to minister. Yeah, it's not easy, is it? No, it is not. And I tell you, we've been praying up a storm, uh, trying to find answers to that. And I have a special, you know, as a Catholic sister, uh, St. Joseph is um, a very special saint that Catholics ask to help them. It's like asking someone to pray for them. You know, it's not saying that, you know, you're God, I'm going to pray to you. It's like, you're in a, you're like my big brother in Christ. And so I can ask you to help me right now because you're connected to Jesus in a very special way. You're, you were chosen to be his foster father and the spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So 
um, you provided for them. We're going to ask you to help us provide right now for the spiritual needs of the people who are looking to us for answers and also to help us so that we can maintain our institution through this time of COVID. There are retreat centers that are going down right and left, and there aren't that many to choose from to begin with. Retreat ministry is something that usually can thrive only when people can get together. And if it's just going to be Zoom, well, people can Zoom. And people are kind of tired of Zoom, number one. Number two, uh, just to get a Zoom experience isn't really a retreat if they've still got all the noise and things going on in their homes. They like to move away to another place to kind of get that quiet so that they can uh, retreat, truly. Um, but St. Joseph has helped us. Um, he, uh, I actually, in the Catholic tradition, lighting a candle is a very special way to kind of keep your prayer going and to let yourself know that that prayer is going up regardless. And so my big brother in the Lord, St. Joseph, asked. I asked him to help us, and so did all of us, the director and the staff at Immaculate Heart. We asked him to assist us, and the unthinkable happened. I mean, something that we never put out there, never would have imagined possible. Because we had lost every program since March, the, the front office person and I had completely filled the calendar. And starting in March, they just fell off, fell off, fell off. And then it became like a, every two weeks, we would get the next two weeks falling off. And then pretty soon the next month would fall off. And pretty soon it was the next two months falling off. So that by the time we reached June, all the August programs pulled off the calendar and we're like, no, what are we going to do? I mean, it, you know, we had done the PPP. We were trying to preserve all of our positions. And, you know, when you let people go in a time like this where there is no business, you know, you're actually letting go of institutional knowledge, which is a very, very detrimental element um, in a company, a business, a ministry, whatever it is, and especially a ministry like Immaculate Heart Retreat Center that's been here for over 60 years. We are, I mean, we've had the operations manager who has been there longer than the director. We have, you know, I've been on there for over 13 years. Mike's been there as development for a good number of years, and Sandy's been there for around 15 years. Um, you know, when you let go of people like that, who have been here through thick and thin and have, you know, seen the signs of water going off or, you know, something that's, that's going to happen, that building is old. We've been overdue for uh, updates uh, on the building. The ministry's been going strong, but alongside that has been just an active faith that somehow we're gonna be able to get the money to update the facility. Well, at this point in July, we were approached by the regional health district in conjunction with Catholic Charities, who asked if we would be willing to rent them our facility for a COVID quarantine for those who are vulnerable. And, you know, it didn't immediately, you know, we're, we're like, well, how does that fit with our mission? Because, you know, if you pause in a time of difficulty and you uh, don't pivot, then you may be actually dealing with mission drift, which is dangerous for your mission. And we didn't want that to happen. So we prayed, we talked, uh, we talked, Deacon John 
you know, pulled in the head staff and then all the staff. And then we, uh, he talked to the boards, the foundation board and the advisory board. He asked the bishop his recommendation because really this is the ministry of the bishop of the diocese. There are not many bishops who have a retreat center in a diocese and he knows the value of our our beautiful mission that we have here at Immaculate Heart and he's been very supportive and he said you know this sounds like an act of uh, uh, God's work going on with you here and he gave the permission he said Deacon John if, if you're for this and you think this is going to help then I, I support that so he's been closely in touch through the entire process and given his okay on everything and so we know that god's will is being done our, our mission provides for hope for peace and for healing that is our our triple mission hope peace and healing and this is where god gave us an opportunity to to mission to the people who are vulnerable and have no place to go with covid so that they would have hope they would have peace and they would have healing on sacred grounds that uh, are used to uh, supporting those who come for any kind of distress or any kind of healing or any kind of decision making. Wow, that's yeah, that's perfect use of the facility. Just the location itself is so peaceful. It really is. As I hear people uh, describing their first opportunity to come on the grounds, they say, wow, I feel like, you know, they just drove out of town and here they are looking like it's, you know, a hundred miles out of any kind of city, but it's uh, rural. Uh, I think of, uh, there's a title in the litany of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and it's called Desire of the Everlasting Hills and looking out on the south view of the property, there's these everlasting hills going down the Palouse and it's like, Oh my goodness, who would not feel peace here? But also just knowing um, Father Rick Gans SJ was quoted on one of our videos way back when, when he was still the campus minister over at Gonzaga University. He said, you know, people have been seeking God's help through prayer and walking these grounds for decades. And he said, an area can't help but absorb this kind of, of holy seeking when people are, are walking these grounds and praying, and now doubly so because we have a cemetery there as well. Queen of Peace Cemetery came, um, and I believe it was like around uh, you know, 2005, 2006, but I know that in 2008, that ground was consecrated as a Catholic cemetery. So there's all this peace, all this green grass and all this flat area that people and, and like paved uh, rosary walk. Our old rosary walk was there, but it was kind of lumpy and not very attractive. But I tell you, the uh, cemetery director put in a rosary walk, which actually has the beads of the rosaries in pavers that if you go around it, you really are uh, just, it's a pleasant walk, but besides that, it's a deeply spiritual environment. And, um, you know, the directors are of the, the funeral directors are always out there, you know, walking the grounds and taking people out there to check the area. And, and those people are sometimes filled with grief and they want hope, peace and healing. And sometimes they will actually choose Queen of Peace Cemetery over Holy Cross Cemetery or St. Joseph Cemetery because there's people walking the grounds and praying. 
And that's why we're so grateful that we're working kind of in tandem with the cemetery and now with Catholic Charities and the diocese in a very special way to form this uh, beautiful uh, triple ministry. And um, it's just all part of the same. I mean, we're all there for ministering and giving hope, peace and healing. So we're just so, so grateful that God has provided this for us. I don't think we could have asked for a better current story than we've got right now. Yeah. So does that mean that the sisters are not staying there? You guys are, oh, looks no, like you we, are somewhere else. Well, yes, we live uh, off the grounds. Now we, we did start out our time there at the retreat center. And a lot of people say, how's it going out there to any of our nuns? And, we'll, and they'll say, well, we've, uh, we moved away about six years ago. <laughs> so we're actually at um, Claire, the Claire Center, which is if you just go over the hill of the retreat center and down that side of the hill, come down there, you see the white kind of a barn which actually did start off as a barn. That's where the sisters live. We live in a barn, just like the Bethlehem Holy Family. <laughs> so we're happy to live there because it's certainly not a barn inside it. The sisters of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration took good care of it and they updated it. It is now the property of the Gray family, but they have offered it to us as a, a rental uh, for the sisters. And it's really quite quite perfect. Um, when we get our permanent novitiate, we'll be able to uh, branch out in a way that, um, you know, will probably, well, hopefully not be a rental, it'll be a permanent property and that will be our, our, our landing place. Um, but right now, this is where God has us and we're very, very blessed and grateful to have that place to, to be yeah. and to be able to commute in a very brief time over to Immaculate Heart. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I've ridden my bike on Jameson Road several times. <laughs> oh, so if you ever see nunnies walking around out there, you could just wave at us and we'll most I likely have, wave yeah. back. <laughs> we walk yep. on the road out there too, and a lot of people stop and say, oh, there they are. Hey, there's the nuns. Wave at the nuns. <laughs> <laughs> How so many sisters are there? <laughs> right now, we have seven sisters, and they are, um, some of them are the original founders, and some of them are newer, uh, newer models, <laughs> uh, younger and more attractive models. <laughs> <laughs> and you can never tell the age of a sister, though, looking at her, because she's uh, got everything covered up, and I mean, it's so funny, I, I think people are putting me on when they say, can I see your ID, please, you know, if I'm going through with something, I'm like, Oh, no, you're not really serious. Oh, my goodness, I'm going to tell the nuns when I get home. I just got ID. <laughs> doesn't happen as much as it used to, but it still happens. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny. So are all your sisters healthy? I mean, I imagine you have some who are at high risk. Um, well, we do have a couple of older ones who are vulnerable, but nobody's caught anything. Everyone's very careful, and we wear masks, and um, not inside the house as much because we're a house of, you know, a community, so it's like having a family together, um, but we're careful. Uh, we have sisters who have ministries, and we're actually out all around the diocese with our ministries, and even though a lot of work with the children has been curtailed, um, we usually have an in-house mass and uh, with permission of the bishop. And then we also have the different ministries that the sisters uh, have, which some of them are uh, director of religious education. They call that the DRE of a parish. 
And so several of our sisters have that ministry and we have some who work in schools and we have something called Catechesis of the Good Shepherd that we do in outreach and it involves having an atrium. So we work through Trinity School and uh, I believe All Saints has, has one too that they've had in the past at least and I think it still is in operation. We also work with St. Joseph's on Dean and St. Anthony's Parish and Sister Maria Consuela uh, has an atrium there and also down at the cathedral there's an atrium too. So atria are very difficult to form and they require having on-site little figurines and things for the various lessons and you have to kind of start with a preschool model to try to work up and go to certain levels of catechesis of the Good Shepherd. So it's a huge investment. And our sisters um, are pretty well catechized with that and know the levels and have been instructed on those various levels. So they work with the parishes within the diocese. I believe the missionaries of charity who live um, in a convent just off St. Patrick's uh, parish also have, uh, they work with catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I'm not certain where their atrium is, but I know that they have been trained in that as well. Okay. And of so, course, I'm, I'm the lone nun who works at the retreat center now, but we used to have several that went in and out, you know, some were hospitality. And while we lived there, of course, we had a variety of different, you know, parts of the ministry that we were involved in, whether it be with cooking, you know, chef work or um, various parts of housekeeping or hospitality or front office or, but I was pretty much from the time about a year out of our coming there, I became the program manager and have stayed with the, the re retreat ministry ever since. And we still do retreats out of Immaculate Heart. And uh, more in the future, we were kind of seeing because it's so hard to try to, right now we've got the COVID quarantine going on uh, with the Regional Health District and Catholic Charities. So I will probably be doing some work going to parishes to uh, give talks and and help with the maybe uh, working with talks on the Holy Eucharist because Bishop Daly called uh, the ministry, he, he called a year of the Eucharist during this time of, of COVID because, you know, we really can't get to it, uh, to the Eucharist right now. Uh, not very many people, churches, I think, are up to 25% according to government guidelines. And if we go back on phases, then it could, you know, close down entirely, but we're hoping not. I think funerals and marriages are able to be held right now, but only with masks and also no receptions. So that's back down to like a phase one kind of thing almost. Uh, although we're very grateful that we can hold the funerals and the, uh, the, the marriage uh, sacraments because uh, that alongside the mass is pretty crucial. I mean, people are still getting married, still getting baptized, still dying. So we need to be able to provide the sacramental uh, support that they need. Plus, of course, the Eucharist and the sacrament of reconciliation as well. Right. Did I see that there is mass happening at the retreat center? There was up to August okay. 1st. And uh, starting okay. August 1st, that's when the rental uh, took place okay. for the health facility. So they've already got work done there um, to begin the process of moving some people in. But no one has, has come yet. They have to do some updates to the building and also uh, try to get it ready so that people who are seriously ill will have a place of quarantine. 
and be able to be ministered to while they're there. So, you know, that will happen in its own time. And I think, you know, there may be, I, I'm not certain exactly, that would be the call of Catholic Charities, how that will operate. Right. So we're actually operating right now remotely. And those are the, the staff? That's right. Well, it would be the management. And then the okay. staff would have like a once a month or so uh, Zoom meeting. And we're hoping to get the staff together for some in-person meetings too, so we don't lose our camaraderie. And we still have some operations people working at the retreat center as well. So, uh, and then all the management is going on as normal. We're working full hours remotely. And uh, it's, it's not easy to do, but we're getting it done. We did it during the, the intensity of the COVID when it started. And uh, I haven't taken a break. We haven't done anything really to, to stop us. And June 1st was our first day back. And we were there until like the, the 17th. And as soon as that next phase opened up, that's when we opened our doors again. But we were working there. And then you know, since, since August 1st, we've been working remotely again. We had to move our entire offices off campus and just work that way. But from what the meeting that took place this morning showed, we are at full inside service. We're, we're doing all the, all the work that we were doing at our desks. They're just different desks. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough <laughs> one, a but it's, a, it's amazing how much can be done by, uh, thank goodness, we are able to work by Zoom. And we actually got splash top for our business computers. So we're working with our own, with our server and we're able to access all of our documents. And uh, we can call our executive administrator who is also an IT specialist and she can help us with all of our uh, PDS issues and our you know, access program that we're, we have specially operating for retreat ministry and uh, our front office person and, and I are working on getting all of our cancellations confirmed and then, you know, kind of like rebooting, getting everybody operating out of autumn of this year into spring of 2021. And if that happens and we have optional dates that go beyond that, but right now everybody's kind of trying to get into April, May, June, and uh, we don't know what next year is going to bring. We don't know how sick the vulnerable will be and need our facility. So we're just gonna carry on as usual and just do the next job that is indicated and continue to outreach uh, so that our mission continues in full as far as we're able. And for those who can't, you know, to, to try to Zoom if possible, but um, we just want to carry on the work that's, that's, that was started over 60 years ago and continue the mission. Absolutely. It's important. You mentioned the camaraderie with, with the staff. Um, yes. I imagine the people who attended the retreats, you probably get some familiar faces. You get to know people. How are you communicating and keeping that community going? I, I think I've seen some daily reflections go out. Yes, Deacon John, the director, is the one, Deacon John Rzynski, is the one who creates the daily reflections, and he's been doing it for a number of years, since way before I started at Immaculate Heart. And uh, so those are put out daily. You can access them by going on our website, which is www.ihrc.net. And those daily reflections are there. You can actually sign up for the daily reflections to come into your 
uh, email if you wish, and you just uh, you can check on our website and sign up for those. And um, you can also get on our Facebook at uh, Immaculate Heart Retreat Center on Facebook. And uh, definitely like our page, and you can sign up for the virtual retreats there as well. And hopefully some pictures and photos as well. So people can check in. We are making it our business to continue um, a solid branding by our development officer, Mike Pellardy, is calling people and making sure that contact is being maintained with uh, those who are our normal mass goers and our benefactors. And we are going to have an event coming up in November that we're going to hold in three different parish facilities throughout the diocese. One of them will be St. Peter's, one will be St. Thomas More up on the north side, and then one at St. Joseph's in Otis Orchards, which will be on uh, more towards the valley. So people will be able to uh, respond to a call by uh, a table host, and that host will uh, sign people up to come to the Hope, Peace, and Healing event. And but it is one of those times where people can support uh, financially the retreat center. And that would be an opportunity also for us to minister to them and to know how to assist them with their prayers. You know, whenever someone writes in, we're there to answer them. And also uh, we, they can either call in, they can write in, or they can put their, you know, in special prayer intentions that we will make sure are remembered in our prayers. So the staff um, gets together, but also we do reach out to those who are connected to us. And when people call and say, you know, when is your next retreat or how are we going to uh, be able to like, is there anything like a short day of prayer or something? And I will be going to St. Peter's in September to do um, a day, like a morning of prayer. We can't have any meals, unfortunately. And we're not certain if government protocols, like if the COVID numbers go up again, coming into September and October, then the benefit in November would have to be postponed most likely. Um, or maybe we could do one on Zoom because you don't want to postpone things too much. Um, right. You want to be able to have something. And there, you know, people around the country are having galas and all kinds of online Zoom events that one would never have thought possible as an online event, but they're doing it. And, you know, we have messages. We have a message to send out. So, you know, whatever way we can do that, that's what we're going to do. That's good. Um, so have you? That answers your question. <laughs> it does. It does. Yes. You did just mention a virtual retreat. Have you? Do you have any planned, or are you going to try, or is it kind of waiting to see what next year looks like? Well, you know, we I we did, uh, you know, propose that, and we didn't have a lot of takers. I think a lot of our clientele like to see people in person. Some people signed up to come in person rather than. Uh, do anything on Zoom. And from speaking with directors in other retreat centers, you know, they mentioned they noticed that people are getting a little Zoomed out and that they would, you know, there's a lot of free events going on around the country that people can just either sign up for or just access on their own. So, you know, it's, um, it, it hasn't seemed to be worthwhile. Uh, people don't seem to be picking it up, but maybe we can change that. We'll see how things go. And especially with the benefit coming up in November, hopefully we can open up new avenues to try to get our people online more. And, uh, but you know, we want them to come back. It's just that right now it's not looking as feasible. 
Um, right. And we want to be able to provide for them in whatever way possible. You know, especially people of a certain age are not able to leave their homes. They can't get to mass. They can't have a person come into their homes. They're just not com- they're not comfortable. And I totally get it. And they're being careful. Their adult children are saying, I don't want you to have access right now to a lot of people. We'll bring your groceries. We'll get your things. And so they want to be in person. And if they can't get it, then they're going to wait. And we yeah. totally respect that. Of course. If, if it's okay to, to ask you a couple of personal questions. Oh, go for it. Here's a little. I'm sure oh. you get this a lot. But we, Do before nuns the, wear we, pajamas, right? <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Ask your questions. I'm sorry, Tracy. <laughs> um, I, bet you, I bet you do get like a, a whole array of questions from people especially (laughs) from school children it is hilarious what happens there Uh, I think I've been asked just about every personal question so I don't think you can surprise (laughs) me I was just going to ask you if you always wanted to be a nun because we were just talking about uh, your chickens and horses in Idaho when you were growing up that's right well no I I really didn't want to be a nun I remember in my senior retreat, and there you go with retreat ministry, retreat is a wonderful way for people to discern their future and to be able to ask God in a very intimate way, what is it that you want of me in my life? And yeah, I asked myself and I I was open to whatever God wanted, but mostly, you know, like every teenage girl, my mind was on marriage and family. Uh, I definitely wanted uh, some good, solid boyfriends and some good, solid men in my life who would be uh, a possible husband, but then uh, also a family. I already had kids' names picked out. And in case I had twins, which of course there's no likelihood because no one in my family has had twins, nor have there been any twins in the background, but I always thought... Uh, as a younger teenager, I'm going to have twins because it's so exciting. Look at those moms that have twins. It's so amazing. And But no, I realized this retreat leader in our senior retreat said, I know you probably have special desires of your future. And I'm just going to propose a question to you. What do you want in your life? And what does God want of you in your life? And I was like, oh, no not the vocation talk. So typically teenagers will turn off the channel when that happens, but I couldn't help it because he was standing right in front of us. So we uh, had to listen and I was like, no, 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 no. And I thought, you know, why am I kind of resisting this, this conversation, if you will, with God in my mind? And I was thinking, well, what if I were to just ask honestly, God, what would you want of me in my life? And So I went and I talked to this speaker after the conference was over and I said, how did you know your vocation to be a priest? And he said, well, you know, I mostly looked at one of the scriptural foundations for what the apostles asked Christ when they said to him, what about us who have given up everything? What shall we have? And, or they asked, first of all, marriage that Christ was giving the answer about what God has joined together, let no one put asunder. In other words, that the marriage bond is, is a commitment for life, and that according to the law of Moses, you were able to divorce, but in the beginning, Christ said it was not so. And so the apostles said, well, then, if it were so in the beginning, then 
was there another way? It doesn't seem like marriage, that would be a very easy path being married for to the same person forever with no, no outlet. And it's like, uh, duh, you know, nowadays you would think, well, but commitment isn't, isn't the uh, virtue of our age either. I think we can all admit, but Jesus answered, well, he offered, and I normally have this down pat on my, my ability to, to respond to this, but he said, um, not all are called to this, but for those who are called, a person who can take it, let him take it to, to those who would give their lives for the kingdom. In other words, to give up house and family and spouse and parents and children and lands for my sake and for the kingdom of God, he said. Uh, and Peter said, well, what shall we have then? And he said, you will have a hundredfold in this life and life everlasting. And it's like, wow, you know, that's pretty unbeatable. But I said, so father, what, back to the conversation with the priest. So father, what, when you read that, were you saying just like, if you can take it, you know, when Jesus said a person who could take it, let him take it. Like, I know I could live the vows. And if God were calling me and I felt that, that call, I mean, I'm not opposed to it, but I wouldn't want to choose it really. And he said, well, you know, every choice, even not choosing is a choice. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay. All right. We're getting pretty deep here. But I said, um, so if I know I could live the life and I think God may be calling me, then I, I should do it. And he said, yes. I was like, oh no. But I also realized maybe this is an answer because I had been praying and I had left my heart open, but I also had asked God every mass that I went to. And I, I tried to make it a, a daily thing. I tried to go to mass every day. That's one thing when I go to talk to non-Catholic kids, sometimes they'll say, so do you go to mass every Sunday? And, and I said, I go to mass every day. And they're like, whoa, you're hardcore. And I'm like, well, actually, that's what all Catholic nuns usually do. And uh, they're pretty, pretty shocked. But um, yeah, I was kind of, I was going to mass as often as I could. And I would always ask God at that point, you know, what is it that you want of me in my life? And even though I wanted marriage, I didn't know that perhaps God was calling me to the marriage feast of the Lamb, which is a marriage to God. And that's why when a sister wears a veil, it's kind of like the wedding veil of eternal life. And when she is being called, and, and you know, male religious also exist. And of course, there are priests who are celibate, who are also called to a, uh, a life of of celibacy. We're all human. And of course, this is a real, this can be a task if we don't have, ask for the help of God's grace. You know, with God's help, as Christ said, he who can take it, let him take it. And so that's what I did. And I went forward. And as uh, the priest told my mom when she was asking for marriage counseling, when she and my dad were dating, like, how do we know for sure if we're supposed to get married? He said, well, if you get all the way to the altar and you've been, you know, educated all along the way and nothing has come up and things look good, then pretty much that's going to be God's will. And, you know, they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary before my dad passed. So that was a, I think a good sign. I think it kind of proved, uh, it was proof of the pudding there, as they say, you know, as I reach my 40th year in religious life, I can say this is, this was an, an invitation from Christ that 
I was able to respond to and say yes to, and I, I pray that I may maintain that. Every day I renew my vows to him. I pray that that continues. That's a long answer to your very short question. No, it's, a, it's fascinating. What about your name, Sister Mary Eucharista? Can you talk about what that means? Yes, uh, the word Eucharist is a Greek word that, come, that means thanksgiving. And in fact, I'm told that if you go to Greece today and you were to maybe purchase some cloth like some of my friends have, have done and they said, people who are the salespeople there will say, Eucharistia, you know, Eucharistia. And, and it's like, uh, I'll, I throw a little uh, Italian sound in there. It's probably a more of a Greek sound, but Eucharistia is thank you and, or thanks be to you. But Thanksgiving, this, is, this word is applied to a sacrament that is so far beyond our imagination of the gift God would give to us that it's, um, it's hard to describe, but it's, it's, it's simple too. So let me tell it to you in its utter simplicity. At the Last Supper, when Jesus said the words that we find in Scripture, uh, this is my body and this is my blood. He had promised before in the Gospel of John to give his body and his blood. And in fact, some people actually walked away from him at that time because they said, okay, this saying is hard and who can stand it? Uh, we're not going to be listening to this, you know, barbaric uh, description of this guy's going to give us his body and his blood. Um, he even said, he said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have life in you. So this is an odd saying, truly. But when at the Last Supper he said, this is my body and this is my blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins, do this in memory of me. He was articulating for the apostles and their successors, who are all the priests and bishops today, and the Pope, who is actually a bishop, but the Bishop of Rome and the ultimate bishop and the successor of Peter, the Vicar of Christ. But this uh, sacramental system is the, it is the presence of Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist, which is celebrated at Mass, um, we give ourselves in bread and wine. We bring ourselves up with the gift bearers. Um, and we also put in a, into the collection, which is ourselves. It's our work. And we always try to give 10% of our work into the church. We put that into the collection basket, which is brought up at the same time as the bread and the wine, which is us. And we give that to the priest. The priest offers that to God. And then at the consecration, and this, of course, takes place after the liturgy of the word, which is actually eating the bread of the word, uh, you know, at the time of the liturgy. And then anyway, but back to the consecration, when the, the priest utters the words that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, he is changing or transubstantiating the bread and the wine into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, who then we all go forward at communion to receive a person, Jesus Christ, who then becomes part of us and we go forward to the world to give ourselves in the word of Christ when the, the deacon says at the end of mass, go and glorify God with your lives. And we say, thanks be to God. And then there's the procession out. All of those processions are the procession of the Lamb that we read about in Revelation. So this is a completely scriptural event. It is completely upon the word of Christ himself. 
that we celebrate the sacrifice of the Mass. This is how the Eucharist occurs in Catholic liturgy, and this is how, you know, in the in the Mass, it, you know, the, the Eucharist is also reserved in the tabernacle and sometimes is put on exposition. It's where Christ himself is actually in what is called the monstrance. It's the sacred vessel that has like the, the host, you know, a large host that is exposed to the faithful. And we kneel there and we can stay as long as we want on some days when they have adoration and speak face-to-face -face with the Lord. And actually, I've got to say, my family was a strong Catholic family who really did. We, we did a lot of prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. And my dad and my mom both said, you know, if you kids, if any of you ever became priests or nuns, we'd be very, very happy. But, you know, we want grandchildren too, so keep that in mind. So three of the, of the kids had gave them grandchildren, and two of them actually entered religious life, and I'm one of them, so I'm, I'm very <laughs> blessed. So I'm named after the Holy Eucharist, and that's, that's who I claim as my patron. I figure if I'm married to Jesus, it's nice that I'm Mrs. Eucharist, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Me too. <laughs> do, you, do you pick your, do nuns pick their own names? Well, it depends on the community that people belong to. In our particular community, we do have the option of putting down three names, and then the mother superior is the one who determines what your name will be. But she usually does look at your first choice and the reasons. You've got to put down the reason for your first choice. So, um, you know, if, if it just doesn't fit the nun, she will even sometimes create a name that comes out of your name, and it's like, or the, your name choices. So, you know, you never know. It's a, it's a lottery, Tracy, <laughs> in a good way. If this pandemic continues, you might become Sister Zoom. <laughs> hey, think about it, you know? I'm sure we could find, you know, that, uh, believe it or not, and this is not a legend, this is documented, there is a Saint Corona who is invoked for um, pandemics. Wow. So uh, she actually was martyred in the early centuries of the church. And St. Corona was a, a Catholic who was married to a, uh, she was an early Christian married to a pagan, a Roman pagan. But uh, she wasn't really out there with her faith as much. But when this Roman soldier was being martyred, she came and kind of semi-accompanied him in the sense of speaking with him and giving him consolation. And pretty soon, people, it was taking him a long time to die. And people were saying, why are you here? And she said, I'm keeping him company in the time of his, mm -hmm. his martyrdom because he's dying. And they said, um, you're not a Christian, are you? She said, I am. And so they said, well, there you go. And so... Oh, this is a terrible martyrdom story. Do you want me to tell you or not? Sure. I don't know. It's kind of gross. So close your ears if you're listening and you're squeamish. <laughs> but um, they actually had a form of martyrdom where they tied one of her feet to a young palm tree and another foot to another palm tree and her body was torn asunder when they let go. And so that was her martyrdom and she died slowly with that. And it was because she was a Christian. And so... They have icons of uh, Saint Corona, and she's always pictured with a palm tree. And when I looked it up, I was like aghast, thinking, my goodness, that palm tree. I always loved him because I came from Southern California, but it had a whole new twist to it <laughs> when I read her life and her death. Oh, my goodness. Right. Oh, my yeah. gosh. So, yeah. I, okay, I don't, I don't want to end on that note. No, no. <laughs> but, so let me ask you, um, we'll, end, we'll end with this. Well, although I've got to say, though, Tracy, 
you know, regarding martyrdom, terrible as these acts were, it was just a time of intolerance for Christians. And there are times of intolerance in the world. This is an opportunity for us to open our eyes to the needs of people. The fact that we have just gone through something where we are recognizing more and more the rights and needs of people um, to become more and more kind, open and Christ-like and loving in our outreach to others and not let you know, barbaric tendencies that are kind of, I hate to say it, but seemingly inherent in human nature. When someone doesn't agree with us, we become very, very rigid to the point where people put other people to death. I mean, this is not just something, I mean, looking back in the last thousand years of Western civilization, Eastern civilization, anywhere you go in the world, there's stuff happening just as what happened in the last decade in the Middle East and sometimes just in the manner that people talk to each other, protests that are unkind and violent and not good to the other who is not recognized as having equal rights. And this is where I think it's important to reflect on these. But for martyrs, this was an area of amazing triumph for them because they over, what is the worst thing? What is the most important thing someone can take from you? You know, reputation and life. I, I think those two things probably would go hand in hand. And in the last century, let's think about it. What happened in Germany? What happened to, uh, to Jewish people just for being Jewish? For what has happened in our own time uh, with people and, and civil rights? And, and this is a country where freedom of faith is still there. And we have to recognize that and let people live freely, openly, and, and to love everyone and not tighten those cinches that become very, very hard for people to live their faith and for people to live in peace with one another. I think this is where um, it's very important to look at our psychology and to know that hate is, there's a very, uh, thin line sometimes between intolerance, hate, and barbarism. And, and there's a lot more I could say about that, but that would be for another podcast. <laughs> no, that's wonderful. That kind of feeds my question while I was just going to ask, what are some of the lessons we can take away from this pandemic time that we're living in? So. Yes. And I think to know that, it, you know, if, if you've got a good mission and you're working with it and it seems to stop because people can't get together, you uh, need to pivot. You need to find a way not to completely pause because if you pause, I think you're going to lose something, whether it be in institutional knowledge or mission drift, you're going to lose uh, something that people need from us. And every mission has a future. If we can't adapt, then that mission is going to die. And someone else will have to come later and revive it. But it would be so much better if that uh, adaption could happen before that time comes. And to really pray for inspiration, to find out if my energy is not up to par to deal with this uh, adaptation that needs to take place, then let's get someone else on board who will work with that. Because our energy feeds each other. And when one mission sees another mission thriving and going forward and making things happen, and maybe seeing outcomes of prayer that they never imagined could be possible, this gives life to everybody. 
And that's what we want to do is give life. That's our, that's the main mission, isn't it? To give life to others. And in whatever way we can do that, I know that that's following the word that Jesus came on earth to give us. And it's the good news. And it's what works. It's something about resurrection. Wherever we see death or dying or illness or darkness or depression or uh, people shut inside maybe the tomb of their own homes, even though that sounds harsh, you know, when you're very depressed, sometimes that can feel that way. Let's bring them resurrection, whether it be in personal ministry or an outward ministry that will get on Zoom or through a prayer ministry that will keep them alive in their hearts so that they have hope. Because hope, peace, and healing is where God calls us. And that's what we come to bring. And I hope and pray that message gets into some lonely heart today. Thank you. That's wonderful. And I really think that what you guys are doing with the changing over the retreat center to the city for, you know, to heal people, everything else you're doing online, I think you are filling that mission. We're grateful. And thank you so much, Tracy, for this opportunity. Um, I can't uh, say enough about Spokane Faves and the blessings that you have been to Spokane and the surrounding area. You truly are a bright light and we're happy to be part of that light. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. That was Sister Mary Eucharista talking about her calling to religious life. Thanks for listening to Faves Forward, which you can find on our website, spokanefaves.com, or on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next week. Thank you.